Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Let's Review RN. I've previously talked about the basics of EKGs and the conduction system of the heart, as well as the waveforms of the EKG that make up one full cardiac cycle. If you've not listened to those podcasts, I highly encourage you to do so, as it provides a great foundation that allows us to build on today's podcast. I'm going to dive into some of the variations we can see on an EKG and what it can mean for the patient. There are many, many changes that can occur, so I will not cover all of them, but my goal is to cover the more common or serious changes you should be aware of. Sometimes an abnormal EKG reading is actually just a normal variation in a person's heart rhythm, and in other cases, it may be due to an underlying condition of the heart or a reaction to a medication the person is taking. Let's quickly review the leads of the EKG and how they help to depict what is actually happening. Three bipolar leads and three unipolar leads are obtained from the three electrodes attached to the left arm, the right arm, and the left leg, respectively. And there's also an electrode that is attached to the right leg, but this is a grounding electrode. There are the three limb leads or bipolar leads, which are lead one, which read right arm to left arm, lead two, right arm to left leg, and lead three, left leg to left arm. The three Unipolar leads are AVR lead, which is right arm, AVL lead, which is left arm, and AVF lead, which is left leg. There are then chest leads, also known as precordial leads, leads V1 through V6. The limb leads look at the heart in a vertical plane, whereas the chest leads look at the heart in a horizontal plane. An EKG gives providers an idea of how hard the heart is working in a specific area, and Also, abnormal EKG results can be a sign that one region or section of the heart is larger or thicker than others, and a thickened heart could mean that the heart is working too hard to pump blood, which can be due to congenital or even acquired heart conditions. Now let's talk about some of the uh, variations that you can see in the different waves that create a full cardiac cycle, starting with the P wave. So P wave abnormalities can range from changes in the PR interval to notched P waves to no P waves. So to start, uh, a distance more than five small squares or 0.20 from the start of the P wave to the start of the R wave constitutes first degree AV block. And it rarely requires action, but in the presence of other abnormalities, it might be a sign of hyperkalemia, digitoxicity, or even cardiomyopathy. A notched P wave is usually visualized as a wider and slower because there's more tissue to pass through. Um, And the first half of the P wave before the notch represents the right atrial contraction. And the second half of the P wave represents the left atrial contraction. 
Uh, a notched P wave indicates left atrial enlargement and nearly always is the result of either mitral stenosis or chronic atrial fibrillation. Mitral stenosis and atrial fibrillation mean that the left atrium must stretch or enlarge to allow for this larger blood volume as the forward circulation of blood is diminished. No P wave on an EKG does not mean that the heart has stopped beating, but that the QRS complex and T wave follow to show that they do continue to follow and show that the ventricles are still working. So it's possible that the P wave is just extremely irregular and not obvious, such as in atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter. Um, but other possibilities are that the SA node stopped working. We call this SA node arrest. And um, so blockage of the difficult bundles that connect the SA to the AV node can also occur. When the SA node stops working, the heart has another compensatory mechanism called escape rhythm. So when one part of the heart conduction system fails, the other takes over. And in junctional rhythm, where there's no P waves, the AV node becomes the primary pacemaker. And if the AV node also fails, um, there are ectopic ventricular beats can occur. And basically, this is generated by myocardiocytes in the ventricles. And this results in a very slow heart rate, um, as low as 20 to 40 beats per minute. Now let's talk a little bit about the Q waves. So a normal EKG has very small Q waves or none at all, but a downward deflection following a P wave that is wider than two small squares, so 0.08, or greater than one third of the height of the following R wave is significant and can indicate previous myocardial infarction. A wide QRS complex despite sinus rhythm is the hallmark of a bundle branch block. So left bundle branch blocks can cause the EKG to look abnormal And when faced with such an EKG, after calculating the rate, the rhythm, um, and the axis, you want to check the width of the QRX complex. If it's more than three small squares, or 0.12, it is abnormal. Bundle branch block can be diagnosed by uh, pattern recognition of the QRX complexes in V1 through V6 lead, and it can also be diagnostic of myocardial infarction. A large spiked QRX complex, also referred to as high-voltage QRS, can indicate left ventricular hypertrophy. Now we're going to talk about some changes that we can see in the ST segment. The ST segment extends from the end of the S wave to the start of the T wave. It should be flat or slightly upsloping and level with the baseline. So elevation of more than one millimeter or two small squares in the chest leads or 0.5 millimeters, which is one small square in the limb leads, combined with a patient's history indicates the possibility of a myocardial infarction. ST depression is diagnostic of ischemia. Uh, It is worth noting that although ST elevation can localize the lesion that uh, ischemia is occurring, such as the anterior MI or an inferior myocardial infarction, uh, ST depression cannot. Also, if you note that there's upward sloping ST elevation in all 12 leads, this is actually indicative of pericarditis. Uh, The ST and T wave changes may represent cardiac pathology or be a normal variant. Uh, Interpretations of the findings 
depend on clinical uh, assessment as well. And so you really have to take into consideration what you're seeing on the EKG as well as what the patient is telling you. Uh, Non-specific ST and T wave changes are very common and may be seen in any lead of the EKG. ST changes in specific leads, like I mentioned earlier, can localize the lesion or blockage. So let's review what this means. So an inferior infarct or myocardial infarction is typically seen in leads 2, 3, and AVF. A septal infarct is seen in leads V1 and V2. Anterior infarct is seen in leads V2 through V4, so V2, V3, and V4. And lateral infarcts are typically seen in V5, V6, and AVL. Now, when we talk about the T wave in a normal EKG, T waves are upright in every lead except AVR. T wave inversion can represent current ischemia or previous infarct. A long or prolonged QT interval should be less than half of the R to R interval. Uh, medications or conditions that can prolong the QT interval include amiodarone, sodalol, flecainide, tricyclic antidepressants, um, and then disorders like hypocalcemia, hypokalemia, and hypomagnesium can also prolong the QT interval. Um, then there's macrolids such as erythromycin, uh, Fluoroquinolones, antifungals, antimalarials have also um, been shown to lengthening or prolonging that QT interval, which can lead to torsades. Now let's talk a little bit about clinical diagnosis that you can pick up on by looking at an EKG. So first, DIG toxicity can be, um, it can cause many different EKG abnormalities, But when its super therapeutic levels occur, meaning the patient has high levels of digoxin in their system, um, a classic sign shows as downward sloping ST segment depression. And this is also known as the reverse tick or a reverse check sign. A pulmonary embolism can be noted because one, the patient will be or can likely be in sinus tachycardia, which is seen in patients with pulmonary embolism, and also a new a new right bundle branch block or right axis deviation with strain can also indicate a PE. Now, when a patient has hyperkalemia, you can see several different changes on an EKG. Progressively worsening hyperkalemia leads to the suppression of impulse generation by the SA node and reduces the conduction by the AV node and the Hisperkinji system. This can result in bradycardia and conduction blocks and ultimately cardiac arrest. There are different changes that you can see with different levels of hyperkalemia. For instance, if a patient has hyperkalemia of a potassium level greater than 5.5, this can be associated with repolarization abnormalities. So this can be seen as peaked T waves, which is usually the earliest sign of hyperkalemia. In patients experiencing hyperkalemia with levels greater than 6.5, this is associated with progressive paralysis of the atria. So you can see P waves, they widen and they flatten. The PR segment lengthens and P waves eventually disappear. Uh, With a potassium level greater than 7.0, this is more associated with conduction abnormalities and bradycardia. You can see prolonged QRS interval with different QRS morphologies. Uh, You can see high-grade AV block, 
with slow junctional and ventricular escape rhythms. Uh, you can see bundle branch blocks, fascicular blocks. You can also see uh, sinus bradycardia or even slow atrial fibrillation. And uh, the development of a sine wave appearance uh, can occur. And then patients with a potassium level greater than 9, this causes cardiac arrest, so asystole, ventricular fibrillation, and PEA. I know a lot of this information can be difficult to absorb, and there's a lot of moving pieces, but I do want to leave you with some final thoughts. First off, damaged tissue will not conduct electricity as well as healthy tissue, which could cause the abnormal EKG readings. An abnormal EKG can signal that one or more aspects of the heart walls are larger than another, and this can signal that the heart is working harder than normal to pump blood. With electrolyte imbalances, you have to remember that electrolyte minerals are important for overall health, but they also play a role in the heart health, and they may even cause an abnormal EKG. Electrolytes conduct electricity in the body and, and help keep the heart rate and rhythm consistent. An imbalance in electrolyte minerals such as potassium, sodium, calcium, or magnesium may cause an abnormal EKG reading. When we look at heart attack or ischemia, um, the heart can lose its, or when the heart loses its fresh supply of blood, this can cause tissue damage and even cell death. This tissue will not conduct electricity as well, which can cause an abnormal EKG. Uh, ischemia or lack of blood flow may also cause an abnormal EKG. Um, heart abnormalities, when we look at a typical human heart, will beat between 60 to 100 beats per minute. And an EKG can determine if the heart is beating too fast or too slow. When we look at heart rhythm abnormalities, a heart typically beats in a steady rhythm. And an EKG can reveal if the heart is beating out of rhythm or sequence. Uh, other aspects of heart disease may lead to an abnormal EKG. For example, people with high blood pressure are more likely to have an abnormal EKG reading. And also medications. Medications can... Um, cause EKG disturbances and some medications that help balance the heart rhythm may actually cause abnormal heart rhythms in some people. So medications including AV nodal blocking agents such as beta blockers, sodium channel blockers, calcium channel blockers, digoxin and such um, also antibiotics in combination with cardiac medications can cause prolonged QT intervals placing the patient at risk for developing torsades. I hope you all enjoyed today's podcast. It was a difficult one because I really there's so many changes to an EKG and there's so many ways to interpret it, but I wanted to kind of bring the basic, um, more common ones that you should really be aware of uh, to today's podcast so that we can review them and come back to this and learn. Um, but I think it's important that we understand that this is not the end-all be-all of changes on EKG, but rather these are some of the ones that you should be very familiar with and look out for in your practice. This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.